0: I'm Katie Brain, and you're listening to Goodness Gracious Grief. Death isn't a topic often discussed, but it's an end we all face, so why has it become such a taboo? I certainly don't enjoy talking about death, so many of you may question why am I doing this? If you listen to my debut podcast, you will know that I lost my dad in 2015 to myeloma. It all happened very fast and I was extremely unprepared and I definitely didn't know what feelings were to come. I guess no one has ever really asked me about how I felt, how I was coping or what thoughts were going through my mind when I faced burying my father. It was always just the same comments, you know, I'm here if you need me, but let's not start on that. That's a conversation for another day. It got me thinking, is death a conversation worth having? I'm not saying we should all sit at the dinner table and talk about death, but if we don't ask the questions now, how do we have the answer when someone close to us dies? The aim of this podcast is to normalise this difficult topic. Death doesn't need to be morbid. We are talking so much about talking out more, so why not share the thoughts that scare us, the images that haunt us, and those memories of loved ones that just cripple us when it comes to death and dying? Should we be talking about death and dying more? Well, there is already a place where people are engaging in conversation. Have you ever heard of a death cafe? Well, I hadn't until a couple of years ago, and it's something that has intrigued me ever since. And a deaf cafe is exactly as it sounds. A place to talk about the issues surrounding death while drinking tea and eating delicious cake. I spoke to the co-founder of the Deaf Café movement, Jules Barsky. Jules is the sister of Deaf Café founder John Underwood and has dedicated her time to helping others to have those difficult conversations. I started by asking Jules, what exactly is a Deaf Café? So a Deaf Café
1: is a place for people to get together in a safe environment where they can talk about death and dying without any agenda. Um, it's always a group-led conversation um, so all of the topics are brought by the p- participants rather than anybody else um, and it's just an open forum really for anything that might be on people's minds about death and dying.
0: And um, what do you think people want to gain from, from coming to these these cafes and talking about death so openly?
1: For some people, it's because they have thanatophobia um, or fear of death and dying. And for other people, it's because maybe they've lost somebody um, and they have been going through the process of grieving. And for other people, it's like a morbid curiosity, um, which outside of the sphere of a death cafe, they feel they aren't able to talk to other people about because it's kind of frowned upon to be interested in such a taboo
0: subject. So, who came up with with the idea of, of a deaf cafe? Uh, who, who was the first person to put this together?
1: Um, it was um, an idea from a guy called Bernard Kretas, who is a sociologist in um, Switzerland, um, and he um, his the name of his deaf cafes were Cafe Mortel. Um, and my brother read about uh, my brother John Underwood read about his. Cafe Motels in an article in the Independent, um, and then put together the concept of the Death Cafe, which was to um, sit and talk about death and dying over tea and cake. Um, it kind of started uh, slightly differently to how it's emerged now. Um, so I suppose I'm kind of moving on to a different question now, but. Um... <laughs> So my brother held the first death cafe with my mum and there were a few kind of weird ritualistic kind of things happening where they would write down fears about death and dying and burn them on a fire and... Um, kind of have skeleton pictures and that kind of thing and my mum who's a psychotherapist said John you know what you're doing is really good but I think you just need to let people talk about death and dying because there's far more in people's minds than you can turn into activities so um, together they put the guidelines together for Death Cafe which um, you know is what it is now uh, which is just a really simple um, kind of uh, set up really to to allow people this free and easy conversation over tea and cake
0: so when did that first
1: meeting actually take place and where was it um that was in john's basement in his home in hackney in london um the and i think the, the first one which was a kind of ritualistic one took place there and then following that it was also the kind of guided more kind of facilitated open conversation also
0: took place in his house and your your brother sadly passed away in in two thousand and seventeen, but you've continued yeah. with this deaf cafe movement and yeah. and how has it grown in in more recent years
1: um we've uh there's been around eight uh, sorry six thousand deaf cafes now um in sixty odd countries. Um, across the world so um, you know it's growing exponentially year on year we're seeing kind of 20 more countries joining into the fold of death cafe Um, in terms of the way that the death cafes are run that they work in exactly the same way you know it's becoming probably more difficult to police uh, because there are so many more death cafes um, and we want it to stay true to John's vision which was um, to make it you know completely um, holistic and a group guided discussion rather than having any kind of
0: um, you know agendas or, or speakers etc. You, you said you know this has become global um, mm-hmm. you obviously can't be be everywhere mm-hmm. have you got people you know in the in the states helping you out and running the movement over there?
1: No it's all run from Chester at the moment um, so we have um, a few people that do various parts of Death Cafe so um, there's myself who kind of does the administration make sure everything continues ticking over um, we've got a friend of john's who helps to run the website um, so if we have updates and things he'll do that we've got megan who runs our facebook page john's wife donna does the twitter feed and then my mum who moderates the website for new death cafes and things so it's really still quite a small team um, and we try to assist the facilitators who uh, hold it in the different countries. You know, often they'll come to us with questions asking about how to deal with certain uh, issues that are arising. Or, um, you know, maybe they're trying to do death cafes for a different community. And we'd like some assistance with that. We had somebody recently who asked about how to run death cafes for children. Um, so, you know, it's really nice that people are looking at taking these in different directions, but still staying
0: true to the to that overall theme. So are you looking for more people to set up deaf cafes and, and, and who can run one? Anybody can run a death cafe. Um,
1: it's always good for somebody to have some experience in holding a conversation and often we find that it's people with um, counselling experience or therapists just because they're used to having kind of difficult conversations with people um but that their role simply is to guide the group to have a discussion um and so if you've got the ability to do that then you can facilitate a death cafe all we ask is that you read through the guidelines carefully and make sure that you're adhering
0: was death something that you talked about openly in your family and, and did you see the benefits of it
1: um we didn't particularly you know prior to doing death cafe certainly it wasn't something that we would have long drawn out conversations about you know come from a jewish family and there are kind of specific ritualistic elements of the death and dying process um and then john and i both converted to buddhism um him far longer than i have been um and there's a very kind of strong emphasis on death and dying and um you know it's something that you're encouraged to think about on a daily basis um so from that kind of spiritual, cultural perspective, I suppose there has been maybe more investment in thinking about death and dying than there would be otherwise. And as would be, as you'd imagine, when you've got somebody who's working so closely with death and dying, that does become part of a conversation more regularly. But it wasn't that, you know, my mum was kind of free and easy talking about death and dying. She's a psychotherapist. And so she's she's much more open to having conversations about difficult subjects, probably. But um you know, it's it's interesting that it came from the foundation of John studying Buddhism. That was, you know, where the concept originated.
0: And why do you continue to do this? Um, John asked
1: me to do it um, in 2015, actually. He sent me an email and said, Jules, if I die before I put a proper structure in place, will you do this for me? And, I, you know, I've been working with him on it since the conception of Death Cafe in 2011. Um, so I said, you know, of course I'll do that for you. And now for me, I suppose there is an element of, um, sort of feeling like I'm channeling him whilst I'm doing it. You know, I'm accessing his emails. I still use that email address and I have people coming to me all the time saying, oh, I spoke to John and he said this to me, and, you know, he's really changed my life and the death, ca- death cafe movement has changed my life. And, um, you know, even prior to John's death, I was really fascinated in the way that death cafe changed people's lives um and you know the the purpose of the death cafe is to allow people to appreciate their finite lives and i think it genuinely does have that effect on people
0: that was jules barsky co-founder of the death cafe and i really hope that this has inspired you to talk more about your own experiences If grief is something that you're still holding on to inside, then why not visit your local Deaf Café where people are waiting for your conversation? You can find out more on their website www.deafcafé.com. Now, with it being Father's Day on Sunday, I just wanted to say Happy Father's Day to all the dads that are no longer with us. Father's Day isn't something I have ever really celebrated, but since losing my dad, it seems to be more prominent. I guess there is a bit of anger still inside me. So when I receive those promotional emails asking if I want to book a special Father's Day dinner in my local pub, once upon a time, I wouldn't have even second glanced. But now I seem to be getting two or three every day. The hardest part for me, though, is to lead up to Father's Day in the card aisle in your local supermarket. I can't ever buy my dad a Father's Day card again and sometimes that just catches me off guard. The thought of no longer having that option and maybe it's even a spike of jealousy at those who are deciding on what option or what design to go for. So just remember when posting on social media over the weekend on how you are spending Father's Day, not everyone has that luxury. Happy Father's Day to all those dads who will be missed even more this Sunday. On the next episode, I'll be talking to psychotherapist Gail Hamill about the different stages of grief and how we individually cope with bereavement. I'm Katie Brain and you've been listening to Goodness Gracious Grief.